Good morning or good afternoon whenever you're watching this. Welcome again to the Lydia McGrew channel. Today I'm going to continue talking about the theme of multiple similar events in the Gospels. Last week I introduced the idea of a bias in New Testament scholarship against such multiple broadly similar events and I emphasize that that is not an anti-supernatural bias. However it may have originated, it is now broken free and even those who do not have an anti-supernatural bias often have a strong bias <clears throat> against the idea that the Gospels could be truthfully reporting multiple similar events. This bias is is very strong. It's so strong that it extends even to sayings. Uh, even though Jesus was a, a teacher and no doubt said the same sayings on many different occasions, uh, even think of people that you know. I think of myself. I think of my husband, Tim, and how often when we speak, we say almost word for word the same thing. We give a similar talk or we give a talk that contains a similar section or something. So it's it's astounding that they extend this even to uh, this similar sayings by an itinerant preacher. Um, to Even to such an extent that when it's recorded twice within the same book, scholars will call that a doublet, which means that one of them has been invented. Um, even though the fact that it occurs within the same book makes it quite clear that the author is implying that Jesus said this on different occasions, if there's a context to it. So, for example, in Matthew, Jesus says uh, something about taking up your cross and following him and denying him, denying oneself and so forth. And if you try to save your life, you will lose it. He says that in both Matthew 10, in what's known as the commissioning dis discourse to his disciples, and in Matthew 16. Uh, in the, the scene where he's talking about who he is and Peter makes his confession that he is the Messiah. And it's it's similarly worded, it's not absolutely verbatim. And, and that's supposedly a doublet, which is silly because there's absolutely no reason he could not have said it twice. Now, when we're talking about events that are broadly similar, then it can be made to seem more plausible with the temple cleansing being a prime example. So today I'm going to talk about the phenomenon, I'll call it that, of Jesus being rejected in his hometown in Nazareth. Um, I'm calling it a phenomenon rather than incident or something because I'm trying not to beg the question against its being two different instances, which I think it was, two broadly similar events. I want to acknowledge at the first that Luke on the one hand, and Matthew and Mark, who are clearly talking about the same thing, on the other hand, do not locate this with great explicitness at a certain point in time. So it's a possibility that one or the other of them could be narrating what I've called achronologically. As you know, if you watch my stuff, achronological narration occurs when an author doesn't intend to communicate a highly specific order or a highly specific time period and so forth, but could be understood as if he did, but that's not really his intention. And it can be a judgment call, whether or not something is a chronological narration. In this case, um, 
it's not like tied incredibly explicitly to a certain time, but the narrative order would give the impression that the rejection at Nazareth in Luke occurs near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the rejection recorded in Mark and Matthew occurs somewhat later in his ministry. That's a weak prima facie case um, because of the phenomenon of achronological narration, but it's worth something, especially when we find all kinds of other differences between the accounts, then why not you know, think that it happened twice. So I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm actually going to read both passages all the way through because I want us to have them pretty clearly in our minds. And for that same reason, I'm going to be talking about the same incident next time so that this video won't get too long. So I'm going to start with uh, Mark. I'm not going to read it in Matthew. Very similar. You can find the parallel passage in Matthew because I believe those two are just the same incident. So Mark 6... 1b. And he came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Okay. Now I'm going to go to Luke 4. Okay. Uh, this begins at... Luke four sixteen, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Okay. So 
one thing I just want to ask you to consider, and we'll be talking about this more next time, is do those really sound like the same incident? I do not think they do on the face of them. The Lucan version is, of course, a good deal longer. Um, and there's stuff in there that isn't in Mark or Matthew about, you know, what he read, but also about them trying to throw him off the hilltop. Uh, Mark and Matthew record only that kind of grumbling. And sometimes we find what I call false harmonization that takes place in the service of disharmonization. It's this very weird little attempted jujitsu move that scholars will do where they'll emphasize similarities and they'll say, well, this could be the same incident only to turn around and say, but actually there are these differences that uh, cause us to think that one of these authors, you know, added things fictionally or narrated dischronologically. And that's, that's the most common here that, um, scholars will say that Luke has dischronologically moved this incident. Um, in other words, that Luke is implying that it took place at a time in Jesus' ministry when Luke knows it didn't happen. Okay, that he's knowingly changing the facts and making it happen earlier. So if we had strong evidence that these were the same incident, like for example, if they were clearly put at the very same time, explicitly, um, or in some other way were, were explicitly clearly related in the same incident, we could put the accounts together and, and fit them together and say, well, you know, Mark is only recording part of what happened. And that would be fine in that case. But it's funny how that kind of harmonization gets lots of scorn from uh, biblical scholars, and yet they themselves will sort of do it when they're trying to make out that someone has moved something dischronologically. So then it'll be, well, look how similar these are. Oh, well, this could be just part of it. And then Luke has other things that happened on what he's trying to portray as the same occasion, but they're at different points in the narrative. So Luke is dischronologically moving. It's like this weird phony uh, harmonization in the service of disharmonization. But I would just point out to you that not only the time is prima facie different, though not super explicit, but also the incidents have a lot of differences. Now, however, I'm going to give you five similarities between them, and you'll, and you'll see as I do this how much depends on how you put it, okay? So five similarities. He's in Nazareth. He's speaking in the synagogue. The people uh, are uh, surprised, amazed, mention his family, okay? Um, they are negative toward him. They reject him. And five, Jesus says to them something to the effect that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. So that's five similarities. Now, if you say that, it can sound like they're uncannily similar. So I like to use that phrase, uncannily similar, because I think when we're arguing that this really looks like the same event, it's really strange to make out that this is two events, we should argue from truly uncanny similarities. 
and very often, not just general similarities in other words. And so very often things will be portrayed as uncanny similarities that are really general similarities. So for example, I would say the dialogue surrounding um, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and um, in Passion Week, I, there is a different one in Luke that's not in Passion Week, but I mean in Passion Week between a couple of the Synoptics and John. And the thing about selling the money and giving it to the poor and then Jesus defending the woman, I would say that would be an uncanny similarity if these were different events. And so for that reason, I take uh, those to be the same event. But these aren't really uncanny similarities when you look at them. They're far more general similarities. And I want to focus on the bit about mentioning his family. Because if someone said, oh, well, they both say we know this guy, you know, we, we know his family, that sounds really uncannily similar. But actually, listen to how different they are. Okay, is not this, this is in Mark 6.3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Judas, and Judas, and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Okay, in Luke 4.22, and all were speaking well at, of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? So it's not just that one of them lists a bunch of people. You know, that's not that big of a deal that one would list, you know, more people and people could have said both on the same occasion. Rather, it's that... Um, Mark portrays this as being a negative thing in the people's mind. We know his family. They were offended at him. Whereas Luke is talking about this at a positive point in the interaction. Okay? They're speaking well of him. And they're just sort of amazed. Is this not the carpenter's son? And then as Jesus continues to sort of poke at them, there's this movement in the Luke passage, and they get angry. Um, I think probably there were facial expressions involved with him that made what he said more offensive there than it might even seem as he goes on about the widow and the prophet. So actually, even though the family is mentioned in both cases, it seems to have a different meaning, even though eventually in Luke, yeah, they, they get mad and they're like, get him out of here kill him. We want to kill him. Um, now, again, if we had strong independent reason to think these were the same event, some other reason, like it's tied very explicitly to the same time, we could say, yeah, you know, some people were saying it positively and some people were saying it negatively. But we don't actually even have to do that. In other words, it, we can see these as two different events because there are a lot of dissimilarities and I'll be talking more about that next time, these dissimilarities, um, and, and say, okay, you know, in the earlier occasion recorded in Luke, they start out kind of positive, and then they're like, you know, who do you think you are? And they get really mad, and they try to kill him. And in the later incident recorded in uh, Mark and also in Matthew, they're just ticked off and dismissive of him, and yeah, we know this guy's family, right, you know, right from the outset. Like that was just their attitude toward him. I 
want to give one more point today about the general similarity and being rejected in one's own home and this um, prophet is without honor in his own home phenomenon. You could call it the opposite of the local boy makes good, right? Um, local boy instead is uh, envied, hated, rejected for supposedly getting above himself. Um, who does he think he is and that kind of thing. You know, here in the United States of America, we often think of ourselves as being very free of class consciousness. I read a lot of 20th century British novels uh, set in maybe, you know, the 1930s, 40s, 50s. And it comes up again and again, you know, this person is getting above himself, where someone is trying to move into a class of society that he didn't belong to before. And in America, we would probably really give somebody the stink eye if they said he's getting above himself. We're like, what? You know, we don't have dukes and lords and and uh, lower classes and that kind of thing here in America. At least we don't think that way. We like the self-made man, supposedly. Somebody who pulls himself up uh, from a humble beginning. You know, that's why... Um, that's why Abraham Lincoln is such a, you know, sort of folk hero uh, in, in America, because he starts out in that log cabin and becomes president of the United States. You can be anything you want to be. But actually, we're not free of that kind of envy um, that we see in both of these passages, the kind of hatred of the local boy when he seems to be getting above himself um, it's a human emotion. Envy is a human failing. And I, I have an anecdote from my own life. When I was a child, and again, when I was a teenager, um, just through that whole time, there was a young lady who was maybe three or four years older than I was. Her first name was Jennifer. If you happen to see this, hi, Jennifer. This is only positive about you. Um, and she graduated from high school when she was 16 years old. I heard of that and I said, hey, I'd like to graduate from high school when I'm 16 years old. And you would hardly believe the negativity of the talk about Jennifer in our church, to which we both belonged, because she graduated at the age of 16 from high school. To me, I look back on it now and it's just the strangest thing. And I cannot count the number of times I had the same conversation with people. So multiple similar events where someone said words to the effect, you don't want to be like Jennifer. You don't want to be like Jennifer by graduating at the age of 16. And I, I would be expressing my desire to graduate from high school when I was 16. And they said, you don't want to be like Jennifer over and over again, okay? And the implication, which nobody ever quite came out and said, was that Jennifer was getting above herself by daring to graduate from high school when she was 16, and that this indicated arrogance on her part. But it wasn't true. If you knew Jennifer, you knew that she had a lot of confidence, a lot of self-confidence, um, especially for her age. Um, she was, in fact, brilliant and competent, but she was also friendly and kind. In fact, it probably would have been a good thing if I had been more like Jennifer. Um, I think their notion of being filled with 
arrogance over one's abilities probably applied to me a lot more at the age of, you know, 14, 15, and 16 than it ever applied to her. And when I went ahead and did graduate from high school when I was 16, I encountered one incident in particular that I, I won't go into and describe of very, very unpleasant bullying. Uh, you know, you think you're better than we are uh, for having graduated at the age of 16. And I went to college then in the fall when I was still 16. I was just resented greatly. So I bring that up to show that this phenomenon of rejecting Jesus in his hometown and almost more hostility to him in his hometown than anywhere else, even when he doesn't say anything as, as offensive to Jewish sensibilities as I and the Father are one, he doesn't say that in either of these places, but still there's just this, you know, kind of thing that could easily have happened more than once and could easily have expressed itself in comments about his family. Now combine that with the fact that the, the people who are recorded in Luke is making comments about his family appear for the moment to be positive about him. And that, that alleged similarity and even the general similarity of being uh, received negatively in his hometown really kind of just is no big deal. It disappears. It's no longer an uncanny similarity that would make you say, oh, you know, these, these have to be the same. You know, it would be so weird for this same kind of thing to happen twice. So that's the kind of thing you need to be looking at. Don't allow somebody to just sort of list off uh, similarities and say, this would be so artificial to think that this happened twice. Go and read the passages and ask yourself how similar they really are and how it answers to human nature for this same kind of thing to happen twice. Okay, I'm going to stop there and I'll continue talking about the phenomenon of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth in these passages next time. Please come back and please like and subscribe. I want to give a real quick shout out here to Eric Manning who helps me by posting this comment to Anchor FM. His channel is Testify. Be sure to head over there and like and subscribe there. And Eric was extra helpful to me this week when I had a security certificate problem with my uh, very ancient and rather ugly website, LydiaMigger.com, which appears to be now working without Google uh, freaking out about it and saying that it's unsafe. So shout out to Eric and thanks again. Thanks for watching. I'm Lydia McGrew.